the question that really must be answered. What must I do to really live? What must I do to experience abundant life? What does it take? All of us really want to live. We want to have a fullness in our life, a, a significance to our life. And yet I'm amazed how much untruth is brought to this question. Truth's an interesting thing. Sometimes the untruth is more acceptable than the truth. Father and his little son, he was, he was an older child and he was... Uh, the dad was having a problem with him because he would tell lies. I mean, he would lie elaborately. He would tell lies that were unbelievable. And he would exaggerate and lie and talk about things he could do and things he had done and, and all kind of amazing stories. And they were lies. And he would tell them and really say, this is what I did. This is what I have. And so the dad concerned went and talked to the counselor when the school counselor said, look, this is happening to my son. He, he, he just tells lies. He tells lies to the teacher. He tells lies to his mom. tells lies to me. And they're unbelievable lies. What can we do? The counselor said, well, here's what I want you to do. So he'll understand how ridiculous it sounds. I want you to make up the most unbelievable story you can imagine. And I want you to tell him this story. And then ask him, does he really believe it? And he maybe, and this will help him realize how, how crazy it sounds when he tells these lies and how unacceptable they are and how unbelievable they are. He said, I'll do that. So uh, he, uh, he concocted this story and uh, he uh, was going to pick his son up from school and picked him up, got him in the car and said, son, I got to tell you, you won't believe what happened. Let me tell you this amazing what took place in our neighborhood. He said, what happened, Dad? He said, well, this." 100-foot gorilla came down the street knocking trees down and turning cars over and just terrorizing our neighborhood. And we got to our house. You wouldn't believe this. Out of nowhere came a very small purple and yellow polka-dotted dog. And this little bitty dog jumped on this gorilla brought him to the ground and ran him out of the neighborhood. He paused for a moment and said, Son, do you really believe that happened? And his son looked at him and said, Yeah, Dad, that was my dog. <laughs> Truth. Let's look at truth. Life should be more than just mere existence. The story is about this. Let me give you the background. Paul and Silas in Philippi, they're doing a great work. They're starting churches and God's doing some great things. And, and, and as they're traveling around and witnessing and sharing in the marketplace, there's a slave girl that's following them around and she is uh, demonically possessed and she has this ability because of demonic influence to uh, tell fortunes, and to talk about people about their future. Whole different sermon. I don't want to get into that today. But this was happening, and she kept doing it. These are the servants of the Most High God, presenting the gospel of salvation. And, 
and uh, yet do it in a sarcastic manner. And so uh, Paul finally got really aggravated and he turned around and dealt with her and cast out the demons. And in the process, she lost her ability to function as a fortune teller. And so in light of that, her employers got very angry because they could not make money on what she was doing. She couldn't do it. She was ineffective. So they went and, said, and she told them what happened, that she, this guy, and she was delivered and set free, and, and, and her life had changed, and they weren't happy. Sometimes that happens when people come to Christ. Sometimes their friends don't like that. That's their problem. And these guys had a problem. They didn't like what happened, so they took Paul and Silas, drugged them in the marketplace, and said, uh, you guys have messed up our life. You've disturbed what we got going, and you've caused problems. You've, 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 you've cost us money. And uh, so they kind of raised the crowd up, and, and here's what happened in verse 23. Uh, they had inflicted many blows on them, and they threw them all in jail, ordering the jailer to keep them securely guarded. Acts 16, verse 23. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet with stocks. Understand what happened. They said, we want you to lock these guys up and basically throw away the key. And nothing, they better not escape. So he put them where he thought they would never escape and secured their feet. And he went back to doing his job. Just another day at the office for this jailer. Wasn't a big thing. He just another day at the office. And so here he is. Uh, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They remember that song we sang a while ago, I will sing? That's probably what they were doing. I will sing. It's amazing. While many would complain because of being put in jail unfairly, they love Jesus. Why are they in jail? This isn't right. How could this happen to me? Where are you, God? They're going, man, we're going to sing. Because this is amazing. We're just going to sing. They have been beaten. They were bruised and bloody. But they're now singing and praying. Uh, and so the prisoners were listening to them. And also the guard was listening to them. All right. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the jail was shaken. And immediately all the doors were open. And everyone's chains came loose. Everyone's. All of a sudden, all those guys were chained, locked away. The doors flew open. The chains fell off. And all these prisoners are now free. Okay? When the jailer woke up, meaning he had fallen asleep on the job. I mean, why shouldn't he sleep? Everybody's locked up. But the foundation shook. And the doors, you could hear them clanging open. You could hear the fetters in the chains falling off. And he said, okay. He woke up. And saw the doors of the prison open. He drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. You see, he would have been executed for losing prisoners. So he was just going to take care of it himself. So I'll just follow him on sword and be done with it. But Paul called out with a loud voice, don't harm yourself because all of us are here. Paul said, no, no, don't hurt yourself. Don't do anything to yourself. Don't kill yourself. No, we're here. Nobody's going anywhere. I, I've often pondered this scripture, which is the greater miracle, that the doors flew open, the chains fell off, or that the prisoners didn't run away. I think that's a pretty big miracle. They didn't go anywhere. And so uh, they didn't go anywhere. And then the jailer called for lights and rushed in and, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do? To be saved. What must I do to really live? What's it going to take to have what you have? 
Can I say something? I need to say this. Please hear this. It is in our adversity of life that we show the power of God. That's when people see our Savior in our adversity. That's when they see the stuff that really matters. That's when they see the true heart of our lives. Now, the prisoners have been hearing this guy sing about Jesus and praying, and the earth shook, and all of a sudden these things are happening, and the jailer says, i got to talk to you about what's in your life. I'm missing what you have. Guys, can I tell you, whether you're, whether you're teenagers or college students or young adults or medium adults or senior adults, people, when they see Jesus in you, it gets their attention. And we should live in the midst of our adversity in such a way that people see Jesus in us. They don't need to see us acting like the world and acting like a people with no hope. They need to see Jesus in us in the midst of our adversity, our heartache, or uh, the, the troubles of life, the problems of life. They should see Jesus. And so he said, I got I to gotta ask you, you guys have the answer. Tell me what must I do to really live? What should we do? I think there's three things. Number one, take honest inventory of life without and within. Take honest inventory. I mean, really look at who you really are. We kind of all go through life not sometimes looking at ourselves honestly. Because sometimes it hurts. Or sometimes it's too much trouble. Or sometimes we think it doesn't matter. But here's a guy who's all of a sudden looking at his life and realizing, I don't have the God that shook the foundation of the jail, and I'd like to know him. And he's impressed that prisoners he had treated harshly didn't want him to die. Pretty impressive, don't you think? Don't hurt yourself. No, no, I know, you, you know, you know you're part of the bad guys. You've been, but hey, it's okay. Don't hurt yourself. And so it's time to take honest inventory. Uh, sometimes the things on the outside are so good we don't pay attention to the things that are wrong on the inside. Things can be looking good on the outside. You've got everything you want. You've got that boyfriend, girlfriend. You've got that family. You've got that house. You've got that car. You've got that job. Everything's good on the outside. But the truth is there's something horribly missing on the inside. There's an emptiness that nothing and no one or anything can feel but God. And that's very real. And sometimes you've got to acknowledge that. And, and deal with that. And, and you've got to come to grips with that and say, something's wrong on the inside. While my life looks all together on the outside, I seem to have it all, but something's missing. I mean, nobody escaped. He could have went back to sleep, but he couldn't because something on the inside was wrong. On the outside, it was okay. Nothing had changed, really. He would go back and close the doors and, and, and everything could be fine, but he didn't do that. He said, okay. I'm okay. I'm not going to lose my job. They're not going to kill me today. But I got to have what you guys have. I don't have what you have. Guys, don't you think as Christians we should live in such a way that people would want who we have in our lives? Really? That's how we should live. That people want, I, when they see how we deal with adversity or disappointment or, or, or disaster, they're going to say, man, I, I, I got to know the person you know. Take inventory. His heart was missing something. He was empty. It was the 
It is often the comfort of a well-ordered outside that stops us from dealing with the conviction of our heart on the inside. We're so busy, things are so good, we don't ever deal with what really is important throughout eternity. And that's our heart. The seat of our emotions and our will and our decision-making. So you must take an honest inventory. What do you like on the inside? Is there something missing? And is that someone Christ? may have been in church all your life. You may be very religious. You may be a person that keeps all the rules. But that's not a relationship with Christ. What's missing? What do you need to do to really live? That's what he needed to know. The second thing is you need to ask the right questions about life with God. You've got to ask the right questions. You've got to ask the right question. What must I do? We often hear a lot of ways of getting right with God. Work at it, try harder, be better. Start doing this, stop doing that, all those things. Paul didn't say that. When he said, what must I do to be saved? From what? He wasn't in trouble. He wasn't going to get executed. What was he being saved from? Saved from this sense of emptiness in my life. What must I do to have what you have? That'll get you through what's got you through. He said, I want to know what it takes. What do I need to do? What must I do to be saved? To be saved from the fear of death. You're afraid of death? Death comes to all of us. It's appointed that man would die and after death comes judgment. It's real. We will celebrate a life probably in in a day or two of one of our members, one of our deacons who went to be with the Lord suddenly, unexpectedly, almost without notice, all of a sudden, in the presence of the Lord. He left behind this legacy as he would call his family in and talk to them. The last minutes he had before going to Emory, he would tell them he was ready to go. He was not afraid to die. He was at peace with what may take place. And he said, I'm okay with what will happen. You know why he could say that? Because 10 years ago, he gave his heart to Jesus. He answered the question, what must I do? And he did it. Been in church all his life, deacon, but had an emptiness inside. And he settled that 10 years. I never we talked. He shared. He received Christ. Changed his life. And he faced death without fear. Ask the right question. You you must be saved not only from the fear of death, but the fact of your emptiness. You can't fill that spot that God's designed to live in your life. You can't fill it with anything. Nothing will satisfy. I don't care how successful you are, how much you have, who's in your life. Only God can fill that one little area that he's created in you to fill. Only he can occupy that. No one else can. Nothing else can. And so what can save you from the fact of your emptiness? What can save you from the face of judgment? Because judgment comes to all of us. There's two kinds of judgments in the Bible. There's one called the Bema judgment where believers, those who've answered this question correctly and responded accurately, they will face the Bema judgment where you're rewarded for what you've done for Christ. A performance evaluation, if you will, and you'll be rewarded accordingly. And it's a good, it's a good judgment. It may be painful for some as they realize they should have done things better or different or what we could have done versus what we did. 
But that judgment is for believers. But there's another judgment for those who've never trusted Christ, who've never believed on him for salvation. That's called the great white throne judgment. And it is a horrifying place because this place is where there will be no pardon. There'll, there'll be no second chance. There'll be no, excuse me, I didn't know. It'll simply be a time of confronting those who stand before Jesus Christ with the fact that they rejected him again and again and again and again. Every opportunity that I believe when he opens the books will have the things of their life. And, and they'll say, but I wasn't that bad. But he's going to say, but you weren't perfect. And then they're going to say, but, but what did I do wrong? I'm convinced in the books will be every opportunity that he spoke to you about receiving him as Savior. And you said no. And whose names was not written in the book of life would not go to heaven. Would be cast into the lake of fire. And now in a place prepared for the devil's angels. You've got to be saved from that. You can't save yourself from that. You can't talk yourself out of that when you stand before him. I don't care how good you think you are. How sharp you are. How clever you are. There's no way out on that judgment the face of that judgment is very serious what must you do to be saved from the fear of death the fact that it's the face of judgment and the force of sin that sin no longer has a hold on you no longer pulls the strings of your life and no longer dominates your thinking and your actions and your attitudes but Christ becomes the one who dominates your actions and attitudes you have to ask the right question what must I do to be saved not what I must do to be better uh, not what must I do to, to uh, try harder? What must I do to gain God's favor? Those are all the wrong questions. What must I do to be saved? That's the question that has to be answered for all of us. For all of us. And he said, you must believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And we know that it happened because he's, then he, they spoke the message of the Lord to him along with everyone in the house. He took them uh, that same, uh, he took them the same house at night and washed their wounds right away. He and all his family were baptized. He brought them up to his house and set a meal before them, rejoiced because he had believed God with his entire household. Now, meaning he had heard the truth. He had asked the question. They had answered it. And he responded. The third thing is, you accept a gracious invitation to life that only Jesus can give. You see, Jesus invites us. The Holy Spirit actually does a work of conviction and that gives an invitation to say yes. And the question you'll be accountable for is what have you done with your invitation? What have you done with the fact that you've been invited to come to have life, to be forgiven? To have no fear of death and the infamous field. A change of destiny. A change of eternity. What? What have you done with your invitation? You've got to accept it. This guy accepted it. He accepted it. To receive eternal life. Unconditional surrender. We would call it a time of saying... He said, I'm, you won't believe. Believe what? Believe you can't save yourself, but Jesus can. Believe that the cross paid the price sufficient for what all was wrong with you. 
That's what you believe. You believe that you have a problem you cannot settle with God. You can't fix it no matter what you do. Only Christ can fix it through the cross. And therefore, you accept the price of the crucifixion for your sin and the power of the resurrection for your new life. And you come to believe that all God said about you is true. You're a sinner. And all he said about Jesus is enough. He's your Savior. And you come together with all your heart and unconditional surrender saying, Here I am just as I am. Please, I receive your invitation to life. And you're saved by his grace. And you're sharing the kingdom. You begin an amazing journey with all kinds of life experiences, never a dull moment. Some mountaintops and some valleys and a lot in between. It's all about the journey of seeing things and enjoying things. Uh, Shirley and I were at a, a conference center in Asheville. And uh, it was a beautiful place. And she likes to she likes to get out and walk in the woods and, and, and do – she likes – that hiking and nature stuff. And so uh, we're going to do that. And we kind of get our jacket on and, and kind of take up. There's about a two-mile hike up to the, this lookout place that where you could see all over Asheville and see everything, and it was incredible. And so uh, so what, what happened was this. We get out. She's excited. Man, we got our hiking shoes on. We got our jeans on. And we take off up the trail, and there's a, there's a fork in the trail, and there's a sign that points to this trail, these this way, this trail, these this way. Right in the middle of the sign is a bear paw print. The bear had slapped the sign, and I knew it was a bear because you could see the claws that had come down the tree across the sign. And he just had slapped it. And that brought great concern to Charlene. She has a thing about bears. She's convinced if they see you, they're going to eat you. That's what she believes. And so she's kind of like, oh, man, there's bears. I said, well, yeah, there's bears. We're in North Carolina. There's bears everywhere. She says, well, uh, ah, come on, it'll be okay. Let's go. We begin the journey. We saw deer. We saw a lot of neat things and beautiful, beautiful flowers. And great, great walk in the woods. We could make our way up, made our way up, and got coolers. We got up, and, and we got to, she's, and she kept looking, though. She was so cautious. She was checking everything out, checking everything out. And I said, Charlotte, it's okay. It's okay. And... and uh, so uh, we got to the top, and, and the other people on the trail, a lot of people were coming and going, and, and, and uh, it, was, it was okay. I said, don't worry about it. We're fine. We're fine. We get up there, get to look at it. It was beautiful. It was worth the journey because you saw so many beautiful things. It was breathtaking. We said, this is great. Wasn't this wonderful? Aren't you glad you did this? Yeah, I am. So we make our way back down. Uh, others were making their way back down to it. And so finally we get halfway down. She says, okay, I've got to ask you something. Why weren't you scared? Because we know there's bears. We saw they hit the sun. And she said, why weren't you scared? I said, you want the truth? She said, I want the truth. I said, because I've already evaluated most of the people on the trail, and we can outrun most of them. (laughs) We're okay. What are you really going to do with Jesus, really? What are you going to do with him? When it's all said and done, what are you going to do with the invitation? The truth is, you must have him in your life to be saved. Nothing else will do. Nothing else will work. He offers you something incredible. He's willing to give you life. It's his desire to give you life. The whole reason he came to the cross was to give you life, that you might have it abundantly. 
He chooses. But what you must do is receive it. I've got a $10 bill here. I, and if I say that I, I want to give this to you, it's a gift. It is real. And, and uh, I want you to have it. My joy to give it to you. You say, what I have to do to get it? I, I don't want you to do that. I just want to give it to you. Then what must you do? If I... Uh, what must you do? What would it take? If I say, I want to give this to you. What does it take? You have to come. You have to receive it. It doesn't matter how much you believe it's real. If you don't receive it, it's not yours. It doesn't matter. I believe that's real. I believe he'll give it to me because he said he would. But if you don't come receive it, none of that really matters, does it? In our salvation, God says, I want to give you something. It's real. But I want you to receive it. And it's amazing how many people don't. Oh, they believe it's pretty real. They, they believe that God can do that and would do that. They just never accept the invitation. They never receive what he's giving. What about you? What about you? I believe time is always important. I, again, I was reminded this week of how each day is precious. Nobody's promised tomorrow. No one in this room is promised tomorrow. Okay, how young roads are. I don't care how much you love Jesus. You're not promised tomorrow. Now, if you're saved, you're promised eternity with him. That's pretty good. I was reminded as just going through the events of this weekend with the Blankenship family. I was reminded that some years ago, my second church, I was, I was trying to get some things going that I felt God wouldn't do in our church. And a friend of mine, uh, Dan DeHaan, was... Uh, had a ministry, a discipleship ministry. It was incredible what he put together, how God had used him. He was a great Bible teacher. I said, brother, I want you to come do something for me. I, I want you to, to come and I, uh, let's get this together and put a conference together and bring these guys in and let's do this awesome thing together. So I want to do it. He said, okay. I'll never forget what he said. He said, Tim, now let's do it. Let's do it. Let's don't just talk about it. Let's don't just, he said, let's do it. Let's do it. He said, because you never know. Time's short. I said, brother, we'll do it. I'll call you back, and let's put it together. Well, I actually waited a little too long. I didn't do it as quick as I should. And actually, I never got to really do it with my brother Dan. Because in that time frame, he's flying a pain from Georgia to Alabama for a conference, and he some bizarre way had a crash. What I would think in the prime of his teaching career as a believer, awesome what God had done with this man. And it never happened. And God reminds me of that from time to time. That there's time when you do things today because today is the day it matters. Tomorrow may not be there for any of us.
for you or for you or for you. But today's right now. It's here. This moment you have. This moment. Don't put it off. Receive the invitation. Because you don't know what will happen tomorrow.